know that the subject I would like to, to look at today, as our pastor already hinted at, is a very complex one. And it's one that I think has been neglected in the modern church. Uh, they don't wish to touch it. Even though most church um, confessions will still agree with you, people don't give much thought to it. And the topic I would like us to look at today is the Holy Trinity. Uh, we're talking about the, the very identity of our God, the God that we worship. And it's a, a deeply, it's a difficult topic. It's a topic you have to walk very carefully in. And I would certainly like us here to be able to do that today and open the word and see what God has told us about himself and how and why uh, the church has arrived at the, the conclusions, the confessions we make. As uh, we heard this morning in morning prayer, if you were um, paying attention, as we repeatedly uh, would say, in the, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that is not just an empty formula. Uh, that those words have meaning, and I hope that by the time we're uh, through with this study, we'll be able to see, at least really, really have a handle on the meaning of this. I'd like to start with a prayer that God would be here with us. So let's bow our heads for just a moment. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank Thee for this day, for this time, for this festival, this place, and those who are here. My God, we thank Thee most of all for thy son Jesus Christ for our salvation he is why we are here and we are thankful of God for the word which thou hast given us and I ask that as the word is open today that you would give us light and understanding that all that is said would be bring glory to God that nothing would be said that is an error or that is misunderstood but that thou would open our eyes and our minds to be able to see what you would have said to us about yourself your, your very person and being. And we're thankful, Lord, for these things. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> this morning, I, I probably shouldn't, but every day I get up and start looking at the news, and every day it just seems to get worse. And this morning I read a, a story about a uh, service that was conducted in the state of North Dakota. In fact, it was in Fargo. And it was a, uh, conducted in a Lutheran church. The churches have fallen so far. You wonder how much further can this go? And this service was conducted in this Lutheran church by an individual. I think it was a female professing to be a male, but I'm not 100% sure. Could, could be the other way around. And the topic of that sermon that day, of, of, of the, the church that bears the name of Martin Luther. Now, Martin Luther was a man, but Martin Luther was, he was a mighty theologian. He was used of God in a mighty way. And this, the sermon that was used in that church, this individual was referring to the uh, activity that went on a week or two ago in Tennessee, where little children were shot dead by the, the, one of these perverts that's been allowed to run free in our society. And this person was drawing parallels to that and to Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's how far down we've fallen as a society and as a, as a church. And in the society, that's where we are. Never mind any touching the, the, the great heights that our ancestors and the generations before us reached to try to understand the God that, that, with, that, with whom we have to do. And I want us to look, I want us to look at him today and hopefully we can see and put into our minds his majesty 
and that it'll strengthen us to he'll walk with us in the darkness in which we find ourselves. I want us to start, if you'll turn, we'll look first at uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. This ought to be a very familiar passage. This ought to be a very uh, familiar verse, chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now that statement, and that statement that Israel was taught by Moses, uh, by God through Moses from the very beginning, that shook the ancient world. Because the ancient world was filled with gods. Amen. The, the, the Egypt that Israel had left was full of gods. There were thousands of them. You know, we, we might be able to pick out one or two. And we might know some of the highlights of the Greek mythologies and whatnot, but there were thousands and thousands of gods as late as the time of the New Testament. Uh, you, you're familiar with the story when Paul was in Athens, the, the uh, altar to the unknown God. They wanted to make sure they had all their bases covered. Uh, there, there, were, there were literally thousands of these, these entities. And, you know, some folks will say, well, they were just man's imaginations. Uh, I believe the scripture indicates that behind all of these evil imaginations stood devils. Right. That's, that's another story. But this verse teaches us, as it was designed to teach ancient Israel, that there is one Lord, there is one God. There's not multiple gods. Right. We immediately, uh, well, well, what this does is that this should immediately put away any worship of any other entity, whether we think of it as good or evil. This, this casts aside all of the gods of paganism, this casts aside all of the uh, other false gods of, of the other world religions. And really, this ought to put, to, to make it our mind, when we see things, uh, for, for decades in our country, we've heard about our Judeo-Christian heritage. We don't have a Judeo-Christian heritage. The God which the modern day Jews worship is not the God of the Scripture. That's another story. Lately, this is becoming even worse. We're hearing about our Abrahamic heritage, trying to drag the God of the Muslims into this. None of those, those gods have anything to do with the God of the Scripture. So we, did, we have to put that aside. But this verse puts away immediately out of the gate any worship of any other thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. All the way at the end of the scripture in Revelation, if you, I'm going to have a lot of scripture references if you would like to follow, uh, feel free. If uh, not, I'm going to read them. We're going to be turning a lot through our Bible. But the great vision that John has of the, the before the book is uh, brought out to, the, the, to be unsealed in chapter 5, we have a passage here. Beginning in verse 8 of uh, chapter 4. The four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy. Now just think about that just a second. Three, three repetitions. Holy, holy, holy. God is thrice holy. God is, as we're going to see, I, I trust, three persons in one Substance was the old word that was used. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts gave glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, 
the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now I don't th think I would need to refer us back to the first couple chapters of Genesis where God is creating all things. There's a number of interesting things there such as the use of the plural pronoun. Let us make man in our image. Who's God talking to? I'm going to let you answer that question. But back in Deuteronomy, we are instructed to hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. This one Lord who created all things. Now, if he has created all things, what does all mean? That means there's nothing, that nothing was made that he did not made. So let it, let's use a little bit of logic. And if, if you don't take anything away from anything I say today, I want you to take that home with you. That the, the Bible is a logical book. Amen. It, now, we might not understand it all. That, that, that's, that's not what that means. But the, the Bible was given is a is a logical revelation from a, lo a logical God. In fact, he is, as John tells us, the Logos, from which we get our word logic. He is the, 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 the word of God. He is all, all reason and all knowledge is contained in him. But a little bit of logic will tell us that if he has created all things, that he must have existed prior to their, the creation of all things. So therefore, he has no creator. He is uncreated. He is, as he uh, spoke to Moses at the bush, I am that I am, the Lord, Jehovah, the uncreated one. In the book of James, James the apostle tells us, in chapter 1, in verse 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. There's, there's that, a word, Father. I want you to start thinking about that word. With whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God does not change. God has never taken on a different identity or lost an identity. Now, the church... As Pastor mentioned earlier, the church, in over the course of trying to think about this for centuries, has used certain terms. Uh, two of the most key you might hear are Trinity and Person, to try to communicate as clearly as possible what I think is probably the single most unsearchable fact that exists in, in the universe. Uh, th those who are offended against those terms, and you, you can, if you study church history, you can see this a lot, that there were, there were, little, there were wars fought over this. Before those uh, great uh, church councils that eventually settled this, Europe and North Africa, the, the ancient, the Roman world burned f uh, fighting over this subject. But there is no real intellectual or spiritual value that I can find in being offended against those terms. Uh, the, the word, the Latin word persona, which is where we get our word person, it's almost transliterated. Uh, and the, the word the Greek uses is a bit more uh, complex. It was called hypostasis. 
But they express essentially the same thing. And they tell us what we see in Scripture, that we have three names, one of which we just read in James. Uh, we find the names of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, or Holy Spirit, in the Scripture. We find in the Scripture that each of these is expressed as God. And yet there is no plurality of gods. So that's the problem that we're facing, the issue that we need to have settled in our minds. How can this be? Keep in mind as we go through this what we read in, in Deuteronomy. But I'm going to touch a lot in the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, it's, it's incredible the, the details that are in there. I think so many times it's missed. In Isaiah chapter 42 verse 8, God again warns about any mention of a more than one God. He says, I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. So in the, in the context we're talking about, we need to ask ourselves, what is a person? What, 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 what does this mean? When we say the, the, the personhood of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Well, Calvin, who I know many people don't like John Calvin, but the, the fact is he is one of the most prolific and I think uh, precise commentators in the late medieval or early modern era. Calvin defined uh, this idea of a person as a, a subsistence. So I know that's a, maybe an unusual word, but he, he, that's the word he used, a subsistence in the divine essence, which while related to the other two, that is the father is related to the son, is related to the spirit, is also distinguished from them by incommunicable properties. Going back into even a much more ancient time, uh, the ancient theologian Tertullian, perhaps put it even simpler, there is in God a certain arrangement or an economy which makes no change on the unity of essence. What he means is while there is one God, as Deuteronomy 6.4 tells us, there are three persons in that one God. The Father is God, the Son is God. The Spirit is God. Not three gods, but one. Isaiah, in, as a, a prophet of the Old Covenant, seeing it, as Paul said, even as we see, through a glass darkly. But he was looking, he was on the other side of the cross, so he was seeing, you know, in the Old Covenant era, we have the blessing and the, the grace of having seeing Jesus that Isaiah only saw very darkly and from a distance. And in uh, chapter 45, he has some interesting passages there. Chapter 45 of his gospel. He states, uh, verse 21, he says here, Tell ye, bring them near, yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow Every tongue shall swear. 
Surely shall one say, In the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified, and shall glory. Now I hope that there was a, at least one section in there that might have rung a bell that you've read or heard elsewhere. Because that passage is quoted in the New Testament. Specifically, <laughs> verse 23. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return unto me. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Now, who says this? Who is saying that? Who is Isaiah telling us said this? He says, that, well, well, God said it. Jehovah God, the, the, the God, the covenant God of Israel. The God, same God who said in Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Lord our God is one Lord. Pa the Apostle Paul in his epistle to the Romans, chapter, verse, uh, uh, chapter 14, verses uh, 10 and 11, Paul quotes Isaiah here. Why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, Paul's very specific that there's a judgment seat, a place where Christ shall judge. Hmm. Isaiah said, God says here, I am a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. There is none else. And then Paul goes on to say, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. We have a picture here of this great passage of which Isaiah saw in his vision. That Paul tells us that this judgment that's coming, that this judgment that will be performed, that, that where we will give an account, is at the, at the judgment seat of Christ. And there is no conflict if we will say that Christ, Jesus Christ, Son of God, is God. He is deity. That's why that, that, there's no conflict there when you say that. God the Father, the God of Israel, in His Word has used His divine prerogatives interchangeably with His Son. The Scripture totally follows this usage. If you want to turn over to the book of Hebrews, I hope that there's going to be a spot that you'll be able to see this a little bit even more clearly. Hebrews chapter 1. I can find my mark here. This book opens, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. We just heard that in Isaiah. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the words, the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory. Now, what is that referring to? That's referring back to God, the first word. So this sun is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Now, chew on that phrase a little bit if you would. The express image of his person. 
God the Father has fully expressed himself in the Son. Now, God the Father is not God the Son because we're going to look into the gospel shortly and we're going to see where Jesus Christ many times prays to the Father, teaches his followers to pray to the Father. Says he and his Father work together, but he and his Father are one. It's going to be a lot of, I think, some interesting things we'll see. He has fully expressed himself in Jesus Christ. So we can believe, as Christ said to uh, his, his disciples, have you been so long with me and have you not seen me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Those are the words of Christ. <clears throat> Back in the Gospel of John then, continuing with this theme... This is one of the great points that so enraged the Pharisees, the Jewish opposition to Jesus. They had already developed by the, this point in time some type of Unitarian theology. They were enraged that Jesus, and they understood exactly what he was saying when he made statements like, before Abraham was, I am. They knew exactly what he was saying. That's why they were so just infuriated and hated him so. One of the reasons. But back in uh, John chapter 12, it's one of these instances, uh, starting at verse 44. Uh, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me seeth him that sent me. There's yet another uh, example where Christ says, If ye have seen me, you've seen the Father. He's not saying he is the Father. He's saying that when he said he and his Father are one, just as God the Father is God, God the Son is God. This is where we start to really run into the, the idea of how, how, how uh, mysterious and how deep, difficult these things really are. We, just, we need to have them as clear in our mind as we possibly uh, can have them. Over in a couple of chapters over in uh, chapter 14, Christ again issues uh, this statement when Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, uh, this is verse 9, Have I been so long a time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Uh, Jesus is constantly drawing his disciples back. Even, I mean, imagine the men who were with him, who, as John said, who have touched, tasted, and handled these things. They had a hard time understanding this. So you can imagine how difficult it will also be for, for us to understand it. Yeah, this is what the scripture teaches. This son, our Lord Jesus Christ, as it says in the book of Hebrews, is the express image of his person. And God the Father has fully expressed himself in the Son of God. Now the apostle Peter... agrees with this and teaches us this in his epistle of 1 Peter chapter 1 
verse 11. Now, this is very interesting. <clears throat> that verse tells us, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ. Hmm, that's, that's an interesting phrase. Which was in them did testify, or did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Now, what is that talking about? Well, the previous verse says, well, let's go back to verse 9. It's about two, two verses. Uh, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Now, Think about this. How could this be? Because the, the very next verse, which I read, says that the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, in who? In the prophets. Now, Christ hadn't come yet to the prophet. Christ, Isaiah did not see Jesus Christ. He was, he was dead. Jeremiah was dead. Amos, they, they, were, they were gone to their place. It was many centuries later that Jesus Christ came. Yet, Peter tells us very clearly that the Spirit of Christ was in them. Christ was not yet incarnate in that time. But the Word, the, the conclusion we ought to get from this is that the Word, the second person, who was incarnate in the person, the man Jesus Christ, was, was there, was present. As the Scripture says, He was begotten before all ages, before all worlds. He was with God. Now, if the Spirit belonged to Christ, as Peter expresses, just like the Spirit is the Spirit of God, if He's the Spirit of Christ, then He, Christ, the Word, is truly God. Because God has said repeatedly, as I believe we read in Isaiah, He will not share His glory with another. I need to get back in church, so you stay here. The Apostle John Are you, you opened his going, gospel man. with this truth. Marks it is very unique from uh, some of the other gospel writers. <coughs> I want to read that, and I'm going to have to speed up a bit here. But I do want to read the first 14 verses of John. I want us to see a few things here. Okay, let's go. In the beginning was the Word. Let's go. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. We have a, a presence, a Word who was both with God and was God. That's what that, that sentence expresses. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. That agrees perfectly with the first chapters in the book of Genesis. That agrees with what Moses told us in Deuteronomy. That agrees with what the prophet uh, Isaiah said. In him was life, and, and the life was the light of men. So what we have so far is what's being described. We have uh, the word, the Greek word, the logos, the logic, the reason of God. He is with God. He is God. He made all things. He is the source of life. All of these characteristics, does not this sound like something that could only belong to God the Creator? Let's continue. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. 
The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world. The world was made by him. He came into his own creation. The world he made. And the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. So we got another characteristic here. He can give power to be a, a son of God. He can forgive sins. That was yet another thing that enraged the uh, Jewish authorities, the Pharisees. They, they were infuriated when Jesus uh, said that he, forgave, he forgave sins. All of those things are characteristics and can only be a characteristic of, of Almighty God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He became one of us in that mighty event, that incarnation. Now He expressed in his own words his identity and tried to make it as, as clear as I'm sure that he could communicating to our finite human minds such a such a incredible truth over in the fifth chapter of John after Christ has healed a man again he's having trouble with the uh, authorities uh, let's go to verse 16 of chapter 5 therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus sought to slay him because he had done those things on a Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them and said, My father worketh hitherto, and I, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him. So in other words, they understood exactly what he was saying. It's what made them so angry. Because he not only had broken the Sabbath, that is in their eyes, but said also that God was his father making himself equal to God. So we have to put away and, and have to be so careful. There are so many uh, religions out there today claiming to be Christian or some variation thereof that do not make Jesus equal with God. We, I'll give you an example. I mentioned uh, what I started about the, the Arian heresy in the second, third century. That's still alive and with us. We just call it by a different name today. Jehovah's Witnesses. If you look at their theology, they essentially have adopted that wholesale. They don't tend to be nearly as violent as the early Arians were. But that's the, that's the theological school they follow. Uh, there are many, many other uh, various heretical groups. And I'm afraid even in the mainstream churches, the knowledge of the Bible is so eroded that the average person that has perhaps sat in a church for you know, 20, 30, 40 years couldn't express to you what they believe. They don't know what they believe. But the, the, the Jews, however, they understood what Jesus was saying here. And uh, he goes, I'm, I want to skip forward a little bit in the interest of time. If you'll turn on that same chapter over to verse 37. The Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent, 
That is Jesus referring to himself. Him ye believe not. So again, he is, he is maintaining that if the word of the Father abides in you, you will believe in the Son. Amen. Those two things are inseparable. If you had to have... To have not the Son is to have not the Father. You, you don't get, you can't just pick one. To, to, to believe in God and to hear that our God is one is to believe in His, in his full, uh, the, the way He has unveiled Himself to us. And He concludes this, He concludes this as an interest, in an interesting way. Uh, down in verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Now, that is an, uh, an if-then statement. Anybody that does any kind of computer programming or anything, that's a very simple logical form. If you believe Moses, you would believe me. One of the, the great confusion that the, I believe the mainstream church has is they're convinced, well, the Jews just believe the Old Testament. They just need to believe the New Testament. Well, Christ says that's not possible. Amen. If you believe Moses, then you believe Jesus Christ. For, Mo, for the things Moses wrote were of Christ, he wrote of me. If you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? Yeah. The scripture and the God of the scripture is a take it or leave it proposition. You can't pick and choose. Amen. You can't pick and choose. Uh, there are a number of other passages, uh, and, I, and I'm going to. If you want to jot them down, I'm going to have to skip them because we want. I want to discuss the Holy Spirit uh, just a bit. But uh, you can compare certain of these things, how they are used in the Old and New Testament, and see in the Old Testament invariably it is used the the, the referral of, to the Lord. Uh, we think you know, the, the Father, the, the God that was re referenced uh, in Deuteronomy 6, 4, the one God. And they are used in the New Testament in reference to Jesus Christ. Uh, Isaiah 45, 23, in many ways corresponds to Philippians 2, 10. Uh, Isaiah 8, 14, compare that to Romans 9, 33. Uh, and Isaiah 6, 1 through 5, you can compare that to John uh, 1241. Now, all of those things are, are tied uh, together. But in the time we have remaining, let, let's consider then the Spirit. Because we said that there are, there are three, three persons, as we mentioned earlier. The Holy Spirit is somewhat difficult to, to find in the Old Testament specifically. But he is there if you look. In Isaiah chapter 48, verse 16, he says, Come ye near unto me, and hear ye this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, there am I. And now the Lord God, there's that, there's that, that word we discussed earlier, the Lord God and his spirit hath sent me. Now, again, let's use a little bit of logic. If his spirit has some share in sending the prophets, and no one but God can send the prophets, as we are instructed in the law, how you recognize a prophet sent from God, then what is the logical conclusion? The spirit must be God. Because the Bible, again, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. 
If, if we find a, what seems to be a contradiction in the Bible, it's a problem of understanding, and we need to, we need to stop and work on it and figure it out. Uh, there are multiple other places, or many of them found in the New Testament concerning the Spirit. Uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, Paul tells us, this is speaking of uh, spiritual gifts. All these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. What Paul is saying is that the distribution of the power of God in spiritual gifts is attributed to the spirit as he will. So the spirit's making the decision. Well, who could make the decision of giving a gift of God but God himself? We don't get to do that. God does that. The Spirit is the one who baptizes us into one body, which is Christ. What does it say in verse 13? By one Spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made all to drink into one Spirit. This could only be an act of, of deity. The Spirit, then, is God. It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. Having the power of life, the ability to quicken, that is a mark of God. Who, who but God can, can do such a thing? 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 10 tells us, God has, well, let me read verse 9. It is as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now, let's compare that back in the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 16, verse 17. This is after uh, Peter's great confession as to the identity of Jesus Christ. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. The Father, in communicating with us, as Christ has instructed us, the, the Spirit will speak nothing of those things which He has seen and heard, which He gets from the Father. The Holy Spirit of God communicates to Christian people, helps us to see the, the things of the Scripture. In, as in that case, He deliberately, directly communicated the identity of Jesus Christ to Peter. I believe He does the same thing to us. How, and that's why you can't get saved Think about how the, the, the churches and the eras of, of altar calls and emotional trappings of trying to get people saved. No one gets saved unless the Spirit calls them. Yeah. It doesn't matter how you, you can twist people's emotions up in, in all kinds of different, like a pretzel. But none of that isn't salvation. This is a, it's a work of God. And God the Father... In his, his electing work, God the Son, in his work of providing the, the ultimate and fulfilled sacrifice, and God the Holy Spirit in doing the calling, it's one God expressed in, in three persons. The prophets, then, spoke by the Spirit, 
the apostles preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 as the Spirit gave them utterance. It's the same Spirit. This is the same Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Now, I, this is what Paul was trying to teach the Corinthians. Corinth had a bad moral problem. And uh, Paul was constantly using this illustration in Corinth to teach them. Uh, as he says in uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Now, Augustine, who again I believe is one of the greatest expositors that the Western world, the Israelite people have ever been blessed with. Augustine had a fascinating quote related to that subject. Now I want to read it to you. He said, were we ordered to make a temple of wood and stone to the Spirit, inasmuch as worship is due to God alone... It would be a clear proof of the Spirit's divinity, would it not? How much clearer a proof then in that we are not to make a temple to Him, but we are to be ourselves that temple. That's why the, 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 how we walk in the body and how we live in the world is so critical. The Holy Spirit is with us. It's not, he's not, he does not dwell in a building made of wood and stone. He dwells in His people. That ought to give us a, a, a proof that the Holy Spirit is God and that God with us, God in us, that ought to motivate us to live holy and righteous lives. Not, not to belabor the point, but in the very well-known episode in Acts chapter 5, about Ananias and Sapphira. The selling the property and they lied to the apostles. Verse 3 says, Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And to keep back part of the price of the land. And then later on. He says in the next verse, while it remained, was it not thine own? After it was sold, was it not in thy own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. In the previous verse, who had he lied to? The Holy Ghost. In this verse, who has he lied to? He's lied unto God. What's the conclusion? The Holy Ghost, then, is God. The Holy Spirit is God. To, I think, well, to, to conclude this whole point, and not, not to belabor the point too much, the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, starting at verse 4, Paul tells us there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Now let's compare that with Paul's instruction that there's one which is certainly in line with what we read at the beginning back in Deuteronomy. 
The New Testament does not contradict or overturn the Old Testament, as some false teachers would have you believe. But if we go back into the Gospel of Matthew, the very last verse, Matthew chapter 28, 19. What does Christ say? In the, what, what is commonly known as the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The scripture teaches us that in the person, in our God, we have three persons. And we can be confident as we worship and look at Jesus Christ, our sacrifice for righteousness. And we pray the Father for our needs. I'm concluding. Uh, and as, as I pray that the Holy Spirit guides us in our life, in our behavior, in our daily tasks, in our theological studies, in our, in our Bible, to, to uh, sanctifying us, to making us to be better Christians, to be what he would have us to be. That we can be confident that each of these is God. I want to leave you with a few interesting examples. This is just something for you to ponder. Uh, where we really get a glimpse of, of these uh, incidents in the scripture. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were open unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The Spirit lights upon Christ, the Son, and the voice of God testifies to him. There's, there, there's the three persons. In Acts chapter 13, verses 2, 3, and 4. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereto I have called them. The Holy Ghost issued a command. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia. From thence they sailed to Cyprus. The Holy Ghost issued a command to separate two men, which was obeyed by the Christians, to go and preach the word of the Son in the, in the power of God the Father. And finally, I ask for uh, chapter 20, verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God hath used a, an act of direct divine authority to make you overseers. To feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now did the, does the Father or the Holy Ghost have blood? Oh, but Jesus Christ did. So if this is the church of God, which he hath purchased with his, with his own blood, and the blood is the blood of Jesus Christ, what is the scripture telling us Jesus Christ is? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons in one God. That's what our scripture teaches. That is how we are to approach him. That is how we are to think of him. And I hope and pray that that will uh, give you something to think about. Maybe if you've had a question, it will have answered it. 
Uh, maybe if you've you know, got a person that doesn't believe that, you'll be able to, to help them in some way. I pray that it will, will be of use. And may God be praised. And I hope everyone is blessed. Thank you.